Welcome to this special Downtown Den podcast where myself, Frank McKenna, and our political editor, Jim Hancock, are discussing the local election results, the biggest national poll that there's been since Rishi Sunak took the premiership for the Conservative Party. And uh, it's seen as perhaps uh, a barometer of where we may end up when the general election takes place Sometime in 2024, I think we're anticipating probably the autumn, October maybe. So, Jim, um, let me just get your initial thoughts on the results so far. I should also say we're recording this around five o'clock on the Friday, so not all the results are in yet, but I think we've got a fair indication uh, of where the votes are going, how the polling is looking. Yes, um, I, th- I think, broadly speaking, obviously um, the Conservatives are in, are in deep trouble. Um, bearing in mind that when these seats were last up in 2019, they took a Theresa May was still the leader at that time, the Prime Minister, took a 1300 seat hammering. So to take another hammering four years on is they are they are in serious trouble, um, and uh, they they will you know there'll be particular concerns you know especially in some of the home county seats, so Theresa May's own constituency, for instance. Uh, and a spectacular win for the Liberal Democrats in Stratford-on-Avon, which happens to be represented by Nadine Zahawi, who um, you may remember had short-lived terms as Chancellor of the Exchequer and even shorter as Conservative Party Chairman. I don't know if that was anything to do with that result. but So um, the the Conservatives are in in trouble. Um, Labour, you know, have done done reasonably well, but as I think you and I discussed uh, yesterday, when we were at that really successful downtown event, um, looking at uh, the, the history of Liverpool, um, not quite there. Um, I mean, there has been a poll done, uh, but it's it's there's a big caveat on this because there was only voting in England yesterday. Um, but Labour, according to um, John Curtis, who's the expert on the BBC, he's got a, a general election projected from how people voted today, how would they vote in a general election. It's a big leap, but just for interest. Um, and Labour falling about 14 short. You know, Labour 312 MPs, Tories 226, Lib Democrats 40, and others 72. Now, a lot of people are saying, but, you know, you're going to factor some Scottish seats in for Labour there, and they might get an overall majority. But the, the point is, Frank, and I'm afraid you and I are old enough to remember 1995 and 1996, the the local government years just before Tony Blair took power, and the Conservatives were decimated. I seem to remember in the north of England, they they only controlled Macclesfield and perhaps um, um, uh, one district council in Yorkshire. The whole of the rest were either in overall control or or, or Labour. You know, there was a real build-up. And then, of course, we had the rural South by-election. And there was just an inevitable momentum. Um, I don't think we're there. I think um, people are voting against the Conservatives, but a lot of them are voting for other parties. I mean, we mustn't ignore the Liberal Democrats have had a reasonable night. And, and the Greens, are, especially in the Northwest, they're picking up seats. Nosley, they made three or four gains. So they've got us um, a few more seats in uh, in Manchester. Um, you know, they're, they're, so they haven't sealed the deal. Now, p- people sometimes, obviously, they will say that in a local election, people indulge themselves by voting Lib Dem and Green, and when it comes to general election, they'll rally in behind Labour. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a long way to go. But So, a bad night for the Conservatives, a reasonable 
um, day for Keir Starmer, but it's just uh, and, 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 and reasonably good for the Greens and, and the Liberal Democrats, who are finally emerging, having been punished for going into the coalition. They're beginning to come back now as a credible force in local government. But on the central question, um, Starmer has more work to do, I think, uh, because the Conservatives would certainly be trying to do everything they can. They've still got 12 to 18 months, they've got a budget next spring, uh, tax handouts and so on. So more work to do. That's my rather long, sorry, I've gone on a bit, but long summary of, of what I think happened last night. Yeah, I don't think I could disagree with much of your analysis there, Jim. I think the thing I would say in terms of uh, defending Keir Starmer, if I may, for a second, is that if you take the Labour Party from where it was even in 2019, you say it was a bad night for Theresa May, but it wasn't a great night for Labour either, if you recall. Um, you know, it was a plague on both your houses election, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, Theresa May lost a job, obviously. Uh, and subsequently, of course, Boris Johnson took over, delivered that massive Conservative Party majority. And then Starmer has inherited an absolute dog's dinner of a mess. And so his fans would say, well, what do you expect? You know, he's had to spend a considerable amount of time over that period actually mending the internal machinations of the Labour Party and therefore hasn't perhaps had the time to articulate the Labour messages he'd like to, to actually start to develop policy in the way that he'd like to, and of course throw into the mix a pandemic. So in one sense, although there has been chaos and we understand and appreciate that the Conservatives have been in almost total disarray at times over the past six to nine months, Starmer has had a hell of a job on his hands to make the Labour Party even a credible organisation. And I think I could make a case to suggest that actually the fact that they are at least within touching distance of potentially winning the next general election, it's something we wouldn't have thought was possible back in 2019, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, when that result came out just before Christmas 2019, I said, well, you can forget it until 2029. Uh, so you're absolutely, absolutely right on that front. Um I think, I mean, one of the, one of the things, though, uh, I, I, I'm <laughs> questioning you now rather than you questioning me, um, is this um, certainly feeling from the left of the party, now you might, um, with great wisdom, dismiss it, but that he has consistently ditched a lot of the promises that he made, and choosing this very week to rein back on tuition fees, gosh, <laughs> the old Nick Clegg cross that Sakir is getting, um, but I mean the mayor, which is obviously no friend of Keir Starmer, has listed them all on on the eve of poll quite helpfully. Um, you know, uh, increasing the <laughs> yeah. uh, scrapping universal credit, uh, climate just introducing a clean air act, common ownership, defending um, free movement, strengthening workers' rights, um, and it goes on and on. And he, you know, he's he's reined back now. He says, well, the the economy is. Is in a much more dire state than when I made these promises when I was standing for the leadership. But it sort of goes a bit to a narrative of what are Labour for? And I think you probably agree with me. That's what they need to define now. It's not, well, I mean, it might be good enough just to stand against the Conservatives, but people, I think, need a little more clarity on what Labour's for. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that he's got to spend, or the party's got to spend the next 12 months actually mapping out what its plan and strategy is for the country. You can't just continually uh, attack the Conservatives. And we'll come on to what they may do to remedy the situation they find themselves in a little later. But I think you're right, you know, unless and until Labour start to spell out what that alternative plan is, then it is going to be difficult for them to do anything other than attract disaffected voters. And I think what you've seen in this election is more a vote against the Conservatives than that real groundswell of support for the Labour Party and a real enthusiasm for Labour. And that perhaps has to be his next challenge and his next step. But the point I was simply making was that if you'd have given Labour this three years ago, they'd have bitten your hand off. But yet there is more work to do. I think the other couple of things I'd say in terms of policy, because oppositions always have this accusation thrown at them and Cameron Osborne used to have to take the Brit bats from Brown. You know, what what would you do if, you know, if you were in my situation? Of course, as soon as you come up with a policy that's good, then inevitably your opponents, the government, steal it. And you've seen that most recently with Jeremy Hunt's announcement around childcare, which was a Labour policy that is obviously something that's going to be popular, something that actually can drive productivity and help the economy as well. And it's not necessarily that costly, to be fair. And Hunt pinched the policy. So I think Labour have got to be a little cuter in terms of how they make the announcements, how they start to roll out that alternative strategy. But you're absolutely right, Jim. As we get closer to the election, that's that's what they've got to do. I think they're going to have to be a bit braver, a bit bolder. On the question of tuition fees, again, I found that strange timing in terms of the announcements. Not surprised by the announcements itself because, again, a hugely costly policy that would be attacked by the Conservatives relentlessly in terms of how are you going to afford this. Um, I can only think that there was a potential leak or a leak had already happened because there was a story in the Sunday Times suggesting that Labour was reviewing that policy. And I just think Starmer's thought, well, let's jump before we're pushed here, make the announcements and get it out the way. I'm sure he'd have preferred to wait till August when we're all on holiday uh, and announced it then. Uh, And I think the final point I'll make on U-turns is the Conservatives are going to have some difficulty in making that particular charge stick in the general election campaign because Starmer is going to be able to hold up a whole raft of his own (laughs) Conservative U-turns from their manifesto pledges. And, you know, Starmer can make, I think, two claims. One, yes, the economy has moved on. We're in very different times. Not only did we have the pandemic, we've had the war, and we haven't had the Brexit bounce that the Conservatives were telling us we're going to have in terms of the economy. Uh, And secondly, I think the other point that he'll make is that the Corbyn experiment went badly, badly wrong and actually... There is nothing to suggest that anybody uh, out there in the general populace is wanting to go further to the left. And so he's basically listening to voters, he's listening to the electors, and he's making Labour a credible force again. Those are the arguments that he's going to make in terms of his U-turns, but he's still going to be attacked for that. I want to move on quickly to 
where the Conservatives found themselves. Because, again, you could look at this set of results and think, well, they're finished. You know, and they've had so much turmoil within the party over the past 18 months or so. Boris Johnson went from crisis to drama back to crises. We then had uh, the trust sort of intervention, that six-week holiday period, which was not much of fun for us as uh, a British people, but she seemed to have some 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 sort of fun and some jollies around the time that she was Prime Minister and raised her profile and looking forward to reading the book and, and all that sort of thing. Some bathrobes, I believe. <laughs> but um, I don't think you can write them off. I still, I still don't think you can write them off. I think they are. You can see them on the rounds today, can't you? The the ministers going into the studios and saying, "Well, we've Rishi's only been in five minutes. He's not had time to deliver, you know, his five pledges." And they continually rattle around with these five pledges: half inflation, stop the boats, you know, that sort of thing. And as you said earlier, if he's able to deliver on those pledges. I think he's in a position to go to the country next year and say, well, look, you know, in a relatively short period of time, I've been able to deliver this. Give me a go. I wouldn't be writing the Conservatives off yet, Jim. I don't know about you. No, I wouldn't write them off. I mean, I'd immediately fire a question back to you saying, if they didn't get an overall majority, would they have the brass neck to once again try and form a coalition? I mean, I don't think they'd find a partner this time. No, I think that's, that, that, that option is definitely closed down. So what you're saying then is that you, you don't rule out the possibility of the Conservatives having a slim overall majority at the next election. Yeah, I suppose they could always go to the Unionists, couldn't they, well, yes, uh, and see if there was some thing. support there. Yeah. Um, it's going to, listen, it's, it's going to be a hugely difficult task for them. But as we saw, you know, in the 92 election, when everybody had written John Major off, you know, he got his soapbox out. He charged around the different constituencies. He went on that famous helicopter ride on the eve of Pearl saying, save the union, if you remember that. I think that was 92. And he won. You know, he beat Kinnock. And, and we were all expecting Neil Kinnock to be prime minister during that election. Now, I don't think the Conservatives were in as bad a state as they are as they find themselves today. But nevertheless, it's a political party that has a habit of winning. And so that's why I'm saying cautiously, you can't simply write them off. Yeah, there is, a, there is an eccentric gentleman called David Campbell Bannerman who has formed some sort of democratic conservative party, which seems to be a vehicle to bring Boris Johnson back, who's, who's explicitly blaming Rishi Sunak. But of course... Generally speaking, I don't think next week we're going to, you know, what we often see after really bad local election results is calls for letters to be sent to Sir Graham Brady. I mean, they cannot, cannot go through that process again. So I think Sunak is is safe from any type of leadership challenge. So he can immediately start on the work that you've outlined that he needs to do in the next 12 months. And, you know... Uh, and and I think there will be tax cuts offered to the voters in the spring budget for two reasons. One, because it's it's good politics, and secondly, because it will appease the right of the party who are irritated that we are with this high taxation regime at the moment. So he has those sort of things um, 
going going for him. Mm. And then we turn to the Liberal Democrats, who've had a good night. Uh, and I think, you know, I would say there's two reasons for that. One is that the toxicity of the coalition years is starting to dissipate. But secondly, and I think more importantly, perhaps, for both Labour and the Lib Dems, Brexit now isn't seen as an issue. It's done. People have moved on from it. And so, you know, the Lib Dems were the most pro-European party um, and suffered as a consequence of that, obviously suffered because of the coalition years as well. But, you know, some of the wins that they've had, some of the gains that they've enjoyed overnight uh, have been, I think, hugely impressive, James. Yes, um, we're still waiting to hear about Stockport, which is, of course, the Greater Manchester Council, uh, which is, is significant because it, it plays into what Andy Burnham has to deal with. I was listening to Andy, I think, doing an interview with you recently where he said to you, Frank, I'm not, it's not a single-party state in Greater Manchester. I have a Conservative leader in Bolton and a Liberal Democrat in Stockport, and um, it looks as if they will um, uh, maintain their position of leadership in Stockport. Um, Liverpool was slightly more disappointing. Um, David Kemp was talking about, their leader was talking about 30 seats. I think it's going to end up somewhere around 15. Um, uh, and, uh, but overall across the country, particularly in the south of England, as we've already discussed, in places like um, Maidenhead and so on, that really will put the wind up some of the uh, Conservatives. So they are beginning to, to come back. On the, on the European question, of course, um, they do want to. They they, they will <laughs> they will talk about going back into the single market, but for them, even for them, the question of rejoining, uh, as as you said, is, is, is that ship has sailed. Um, but they and they're not they're not taking hold of that hold of that prospect. No, the, the Greens are. The Greens say if the circumstances were right, they would want to 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 go back into the uh, into the European Union. Yeah, you seem to get very excited about the Greens, Jim. I'll tell you, general election, they'll be lucky to get a seat. Um, and rightly so as well. They're an absolute bloody farce, that party, honestly. I'll go through the policy manifesto with you one day and we'll see how sensible well, people it. actually I mean, think that's it is. It. The detailed policy is crackpot. <laughs> the only thing is that people are, or some people are getting concerned about climate change and do want to do radical things to deal with it. And they're the party to go to. And uh, yeah. yeah, but I think if you take a, a local election campaign, and you know, I think there's you can be a bit pissed off with Labour if you're a bit of a lefty, and you're a bit of a Corbyn Easter, and you can use your vote uh, to protest. And in some councils, they may win a seat or two. I think they've actually taken control of. Is it Brighton? They've no, taken mid control. Mid, mid Suffolk. Mid-Suffolk. Um, and that can happen in local elections. But come a general election when people are talking about cost of living crises, when they're talking about you know those big issues that, let's face it, uh, the big major parties are the ones that people are going to be looking to solve, then, yeah, they will get some disaffected voters, but I don't think they'll win a seat. They might win one or two. Yeah, um, come- minor parties, the, um, that, that, the successor to UKIP party, I haven't heard anything about them at all. 
They were meant to no, be sort of moving up on the flank yeah. of the rights of the Conservative yeah. Party, but they don't seem to. Uh, but it was all about Brexit, was wasn't it? It was all about that's Brexit, saying, you know, yeah. and and now that's gone. It, it, it's gone. I, I mean, again, that, interesting what you're saying about the Lib Dems taking seats from the South, because this is the real problem, isn't it, for the Conservatives? Um, how do they play it next time out? And seems to me that they've been squeezed in their red wall and their blue wall. And I think Sunak's likely strategy, I wonder if you'd agree with me on this, is to protect his blue wall because I think he would see that as being the better foundation from which to make a comeback should they actually lose to a Lib Lab pact, if I can put it that way. That your sort of thinking on this? Do you think the blue wall is going to be more important to Sunak and the campaign at the next election than the rep than protecting the red wall? It's a very interesting question because um, Brexit undoubtedly moved did move the tectonic plates of British politics, and e- even with these results in the northeast, it's been stickier uh, for the Conservatives uh, for the for Labour to get back, um, and. Um, you know, there is this a newfound loyalty to the Conservatives, and Ben Houchin in uh, Tees, Tees Valley, the mayor there, um, there is that sort of move that some Labour people have made to the Conservatives, and there's some evidence that they're somewhat reluctant to come back. But given that we're not going to see a complete inversion of the... Um, political map whereby Sunak would conclude it's better to sort of try and regain his briefly held Brexiteer voters in the north and let the south go to the Liberals. No, I think you're right. The home counties, southern England, you know, that if the Conservatives haven't got that as a rock-solid base, uh, then they, they, they really would be in trouble. So I think they will hope that the Liberal Democrats can be can be seen off. But but there is this possibility of a pincer movement, and of course Starmer and Ed Davey will not talk about sharing seats and things like that. But they don't have to really. Um, you know, they just don't. The voters are sophisticated enough to work yeah, it out yeah. themselves. Well, that's yeah. the danger for the Conservatives: is is the sort of unofficial pincer movement on them by the Liberal Democrats in the South and by by Labour in the North. Yeah. Um, Let's just talk about a couple of cities that obviously we operate in, a couple of areas that we operate in. Manchester, okay, a couple of Greens have made gains there, but it's almost a one-party state and Bev Craig won't be losing too much sleep about losing a couple of seats, I'm sure. Um, But Liverpool is the one, isn't it? It was all out elections. It's been a tortuous time for the local authority here through all sorts of controversies. Labour Party right in the middle of that. And there was a feeling um, within um, some people's heads that Labour could be punished uh, at the local elections. As I say, new boundaries, all-out elections, slightly slimmed down council, still 85 councillors, which you know, I have to say I think is still too many for a city Liverpool size. Um, but it seems, I'm hearing... They've won about 60 of those 85 seats, Jim. So a great night for Labour and a great night, I have to say, for its new leader, Liam Robinson, who I'm very much um, looking forward to working with because I think 
He's the sort of character who can start to rebuild and regain credibility for the city. Yes. Um, well, as you as you as you will know, I um, my latest blog last week was do Labour deserve to continue to control Liverpool? And I posed that question because you know it has been a, a bit of a shambles recently uh, in in a number of respects, and. Uh, and, 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 and the city, to some extent, has lost its way, although we had an interesting meeting with Professor Michael Parkinson at a downtown event yesterday where he did this analysis that the underlying economy of the city is probably all right and everything isn't the town hall. We shouldn't overemphasize it. Nevertheless, Liverpool has its enemies always waiting to pounce and say, there you are, I told you so, it's back to the 80s and all this sort of stuff. Um, so this 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 will be um, a platform for Liam Robinson, which of course he now will have for four years, which is also important. So business, which is what we're concerned about, will know that they can relate to Liam Robinson for at least four years and arguably beyond, because I think this was the trickiest moment for them. If if the people of Liverpool, perhaps they don't pay as much attention to all this police activity and internal squabbling that anoraks like you and I do and maybe it passes them passes them by or which I think is probably the case is that Merseyside and I mean more generally Merseyside I mean look at the results in Sefton I mean in Sefton the Liberal Democrats used to be in in, in charge you know, with the Conservatives Labour have made big gains in Sefton at this election and um, could well take the Southport seat in Parliament at the, at the general election. So Mersey and the rural as, as well, um, you know, the, the days of Linda Chalker and people like that, Barry Porter, um, 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 you know, so, so you know, Merseyside and Liverpool in particular have become very hostile to the Conservatives. Um, very anti-Conservative. of course, of Lord Heseltine. Yes, yes, who's a freeman of Liverpool. Can't say that about many Tories, if any. Um, so moving on to Lancashire, because again, more of a mixed bag there, I'd suggest for Labour. Um, you know, County Council currently Conservative controlled. Um, in the east of the county, I think Labour would have perhaps been hoping to do a little better. Would that be fair? Yes, um, they, they, the Conservatives have lost control of Pendle. Um, but I'm looking at Burnley and Hindburn. In Hindburn, there were no changes in the seats at all. And so uh, Labour couldn't take overall control there. And uh, also in Burnley. And obviously the relevance of that to Parliament is that, you know, and it, you still have to think twice, an old veteran like me, that Burnley has a Conservative MP. Um, and this is this is what I was this is what I was saying a little bit earlier about the, the stickiness. It's not just in the North East. It comes over the Pennines a bit. Um, there, there is there is definitely work to do uh, for Keir Starmer, um, and I think it goes to the uh, you know the, the, the London orientation of of, of of some of the key personalities, perhaps, and some of the issues which sometimes come to the fore. I'm not saying Sir Keir promotes them, but some of these issues. Uh, I don't I don't particularly want to use the term wokery because it's now being abused, but you know that to, to appeal to East Lancashire in particular, you've got to have a particular um, 
uh, appeal. I mean, it's you know it's a mixed bag because Labour you know had a good result in Blackpool, um, but um, uh, you know it's just there's one or two places that they didn't take. This is, this goes back to my point in ninety five ninety six. Tony Blair was sweeping through all that sort of thing. Everything everything went into the Labour column, but we just we just see a stickiness here, which Starman must worry about. Mm. Uh, in my old neck of the woods, I can't go without mentioning West Lancashire, which has returned to overall Labour control again. Um, so good news for Labour there. And uh, good luck to John Phyllis, my old mucker, who is uh, back on West Lags District Council. He won't be leader. No, he won't be leader. I don't think he's daft enough. To, uh, sorry, I don't think he's, in, <laughs> he's interested in, in doing that. Um, but uh, but they're back in control there in West Lags. Um, the parliamentary seat's very secure uh, Labour seat for many, many years now, of course. And a big by-election victory recently as well. Um, so uh, let's finish this off, Jim. You know, my if I was a betting person, I would be looking at a home parliament. I, I think that's the sort of trajectory of travel here. I think that even if Labour can come up with a compelling case of alternative policies, uh, the fact is that, you know, Starmer has had to spend an inordinate amount of time clearing up the mess within his own party. He's not, by his own admission, uh, an entertainer or a charismatic sort of personality who will be able to engender the same sort of enthusiasm as a Tony Blair or, dare I say, as a Boris Johnson. Uh, and you've seen a re-emergence of the other alternative party, which is the Liberal Democrats. And so it's far easier for Conservatives in the South to jump a little to the Lib Dems than it is to have the leap of faith to Labour. So my money, Jim, is on a hung parliament. Um, but, but you can't leave it there. What, what, what happens then? Does Labour try and rule on its own with three? I mean, I'm, I'm just taking John Curtis's figures, you know, try and rule alone, 14 short of an overall majority, or do a formal pact or a, a confidence in supply with the Liberal Democrats. Well, it depends what the Liberal Democrats would want to do that formal deal, given their experience last time. They may prefer a support and supply, mightn't they? Uh, and also, you, you know, they, they won't be as seduced by the red boxes as Nick Clegg and his gang were. Uh, and they certainly won't be giving away, you know, the tuition fees policies for free and that sort of thing. So uh, I think it'd be a tougher negotiation and perhaps a different approach from the Lib Dems as well. The other thing I'd say, and you will certainly not get any senior member of the Labour Party suggesting this, but I'm going to say it anyway, uh, is that they may actually think that having a hung parliament with, you know, 14 short, having to rely on other parties, gives them some advantages, gives them uh, a way of having a conversation about the European Union that would be far more acceptable if they were saying, well, we've got to have this conversation now because we're relying on the Liberal Democrat support, gives them an easy way of handling their lunatics, if I could put it that way, in the same way that, you know, the Conservatives have these rebels that just vote against almost anything the government brings forward. You can see, you know, a, a 
cohort of Labour MPs who are still Corbynistas, still very sympathetic to that hard left agenda, um, making Starmer's life difficult if they have a small majority. Far easier to manage the party, the parliamentary party, if you're able to hide behind the shield of, well, I'm sorry, chaps, sorry, comrades, we've got to go and have a conversation with the Lib Dems and I'll never be able to sell that to them. So it might not be the worst result in the world for Labour, though, as I say, they certainly publicly wouldn't say that. Up to a point, Lord Copper, but then it would be from 2005 would have been the last time that Labour had won a general election. And just moving this on, I know we're running out of time, but if by any chance, and we have even contemplated it in this podcast, the Conservatives got back with any sort of majority, if that wasn't the occasion for a major um, discussion between the Greens, the Liberal Democrats and Labour about the future of British politics, then... I don't know when it would be, but we are jumping Stop ahead. Stop going on about the Greens. We are, we are, we are, we are jumping ahead. We are jumping ahead. Honestly, so, the bloody Greens. Read the manifesto, people. If you wonder why I'm so dismissive of them, read their manifesto well, and then the tell me. I may, I may be honestly. a football club rather than a political party. <laughs> well, Plymouth, well done, my friend. Um Now, I think it's a good point that you make, but equally I would say that, you know, although you're correct, obviously, saying that we haven't won an election, uh, haven't seen an election won rather by the Labour Party since 2005, in 2019, you would never have anticipated Labour being able to have a fighting chance in 2024. So on that basis alone, Labour, I'm sure, will be going into the bank holiday weekend and the coronation far cheerier than their Conservative opponents, but still all to play for. And I've enjoyed this chat, Jim. So perhaps this is something we can do on a more regular basis so that our listeners can get the wisdom of a man who has been embedded in our political world for more years than you care to remember. But, Jim, it's been absolutely fantastic to get your analysis of the it's local election a results. to work for a functioning business networking organisation. <laughs> Ooh, nasty. <laughs> meow. Um, I wouldn't say anything about that, but I do want to congratulate you because, again, what many of our listeners will not know is that Jim is a Plymouth Argyle supporter and, of course, the Argyle were promoted uh, to the championship in the week. So congratulations, sir. I just hope well, that we're not playing you in the Scouse. championship next season. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I would love to play Everton, but I, I, I don't wish Everton the, yeah, the people's club and I wish you every success in trying to stay up. Matt, we are managed by, by Schumacher, who's a big Scouser and big Everton fan. So, uh, Yeah, played for Everton in the academy. Played with, uh, with Chris, yeah. our manager and director yeah. at the Everton Academy yeah. many years ago. So, yeah, listen, Jim, great to catch up. Enjoy the coronation. Enjoy your weekend and we'll catch up again soon that was uh, me Frank McKenna and our political editor downtown and business Jim Hancock talking about the local election results and hopefully uh, you've enjoyed that and as I say we'll come back in a little bit more political commentary in the downtown den over the coming months as we lead up to that all important 2024 general election take care have a great bank holiday weekend and don't forget to swear allegiance to the king bye